The last time I talked to you, I was in a barn in Hale, way up in Cumbria, England, in the middle of nowhere. And since then, I played in Foxfield, had a really nice time. Went down to Sheffield, played a real nice gig there. Got to see my buddy Craig, a whole lot of other friends. And then I went on to Bury, played a sold-out gig there at the Met, nice little theater. And then I went to Wreath which was kind of in the middle of nowhere in the Yorkshire Dales is what I was told. We passed up the house where Charlotte Bronte used to live, where she wrote Wuthering Heights. And I even got to walk through the moors that she talked about there in Wuthering Heights and imagined Heathcliff running off to seek his fame and fortune elsewhere. I went on to Brosley, got to see my buddy Caroline, had a really nice gig there, got to hold some chickens and Bet the chickens, saw Betty, a 15-year-old cat that I haven't seen in, in a while. I was glad to see that she's doing fine. I went on to I play a private gig somewhere outside of Burford. And I don't remember the name of the town, if there was a town, but it was a really good time, really nice people. I stayed in Burford that night, and across the street from where I was was a pub where at one point, three robbers outlaws, whatever you want to call them, found refuge inside this pub and went in and got a pint. And I guess the law showed up and busted them, and they were executed. These guys' names were Tom, Dick, and Harry, and supposedly that's where the phrase comes from. Then I went on to Norwich and had a really nice gig, sold-out show there. Ended up walking around the castle during the day, which is always a plus. Then I went to Cardiff, Wales, and the Welsh people never let me down. It's always a great show in Wales, and this was no different. I walked around the castle earlier that day, and they have owls and falcons right on site that, you know, I was hoping that they would might let one of them sit on my arm or something, but that was a no-go. I went out into the middle of nowhere in Cornwall and played a little bitty tiny town, I think... They pronounce it Lanston. It's spelled Launceston to me, and everybody laughed because I can't ever seem to pronounce anything these days. But I had a nice gig. I think it might have been sold out, but it was a really good time. I stayed on a 200-acre farm, just a beautiful old farm. There were cows, there were chickens, there were uh, sheep. Just a really nice place. But took off in the rain to Bristol, had a real nice gig in Bristol. And then the next day, went into London and played a private gig down in South London. I played 12 or 14 gigs in a row. It took, it took a little bit, but I ended up uh, coming to Birmingham, where I'm at now, and I'm playing tonight in Birmingham. I had one off day yesterday. Went for a long walk through Birmingham and uh, went out into the suburbs, and I found the house where Ozzy Osbourne was raised in, his childhood home. I was on my way back into the city center. It was about a three-mile walk, and I stopped off at a pub to get some lunch. And this pub just happened to be a place where a lot of old vaudeville-type stars, a lot of old movie stars used to stay. People like Judy Garland stayed there, Laurel and Hardy, uh, Enrico Caruso stayed there, Charlie Chaplin stayed there, and uh, upst- they gave me the full tour. I got to go around this place went upstairs. I saw this room upstairs with a little stage set up, 
and they said that was Black Sabbath's first practice place. So I got to visit that. Didn't even see that one coming. And they said that it hadn't really changed much since they played there. But I have just a few dates left on this tour. Tonight I'm playing here in Birmingham. Tomorrow I go to London. I'm told that that gig's been sold out for a couple months. And then I go to Doncaster, and then I play at a festival somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I'm not sure where. And then I get to fly home and a little bit worn down, but it's been a really great tour. But I'm looking forward to getting home and seeing Amy. friends this is otis gibbs and you're listening to thanks for giving a damn i'm sitting here in a hotel in birmingham england this is a personal journal this is a bit of an experiment i like to say right up front that i haven't the slightest idea what i'm doing but i decided to do it anyway this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter there's a creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Peter Case. Peter is a singer and a songwriter who lives in San Francisco. You can find out everything you need to know about Peter at petercase.com. I was going to wait for a little while to put this up and stretch it out a bit, but we had such good response with part one that I decided I would go ahead and put it up next. I met up with Peter at a hotel room in Nashville after his gig at the Basement East with Kevin Kenny, and we just had a really nice talk. I like Peter a lot. He's a really good guy. He's got a huge brain, and he's been up and down the road quite a few times, and he's just experienced a lot of wonderful things that he's nice enough to talk about. So here's part two, Peter Case. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was the first time I ever came to Nashville. I came through here with the Plimsolls on our 81 tour. I think it was the first time I actually came here. But the first time I really had, uh, and, you know, we came in and, like, you know, had a look around. But then a couple of years later, I was driving across the country with, um, and I stopped, I was driving down from Buffalo with a guy from Buffalo named Mike Bannister. And we, oh, no, even before that, I did it, did it coming back with Bannister. But on the way out, I was with Bob Forrest from Thelonious Monster. And we were drinking a driveway car from L.A. to uh, New York City to Queens or something. And we stopped and uh, we pulled off and went to the Ryman. And, like, just pressed our – it was back then the Ryman was closed. And we just pressed our face up against, uh, you know, looking at it and, like, you know, going crazy and checking it out. Yeah, you know, I've had some weird experiences in Nashville. uh, You know, it used to be like you'd go up on Music Row and I was signed to Bug Music and, like, I I had a record out on Geffen, you know, and I'd walk down Music Row and, like, I remember one time I'm walking down there and uh, Rodney Crowell picked me up in a VW. I, and I didn't even know, you know, that, you know, I didn't know him, you know. He just picked me up in his car and we started talking and then we went down to Bug and then we ended up picking at some place. And um, another time, uh, a, lot of inter- a lot of interesting things used to happen here, you know, uh, more interesting than uh, it's, uh, it's happened to me for a long time there. Yeah. 
All right. Well, the nerves decide. We, I had a band. I, I went to, uh, to make the whole story happen. Like I was in San Francisco in 73, 74, 75, and 76, playing on the street, living on the street, and playing guitar, busking. And then we got into this band. Like the original idea of the nerves was to be a busking band that like broke out and like goes into big time rock and roll right from the street. Didn't happen that way. But so we, because we realized that like San Francisco wasn't really. Um, a place where anybody can make a decision. It was kind of provincial at the time. So we piled everything into the car, drove down to L.A., um, checked into a motel, you know, like it was basically a whorehouse called the Vine Street Lodge, which we didn't know, but we just checked in there. And then we went down and wanted to go see the Whiskey A Go-Go. So we drive down there, and I think it was like either January 1st or January 2nd. It was like very early January 77. We got there on January 1st, 77. We, we go down to the Whiskey and the guy lets us in, I think. I don't think we paid. We're like a band. It was like the end. We walk in. He lets us in. And there's like like nobody there. There's like uh, maybe you know, 15, 20 people. I like got an empty club. And Van Halen is on stage. And they're playing. you like, you really got me and stuff like that. And they were getting ready to leave on tour, their first tour. And like the Nerves Attitude Tour, it was like, wow, I can't believe this kind of music is like still going on here. <laughs> That was where we thought. <laughs> so little did we know, you know. And then, the, like I think, either the next night or like like a night or two later, we went back to the whiskey, and it was the same thing with maybe instead of fifteen people, there was like thirty people there, and it was the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and we we were a little more sympathetic with that, but like we weren't completely silver and soul because we were like you know in band, you know, you have to like you know be totally allegiant to your own, you know, blah, blah. but we, but they were good, you know, but there weren't many people. There. And we went on the Ramones tour, the Nerves did, and uh, we were in, on the Rocket to Russia tour in 77 for a little while, and, you know, doing dates around the Midwest with them, and um, we had the Nerves EP out, and, like, we knew this guy Greg Shaw out of Bomp Magazine in L.A., and we made our own record in 76. We recorded it in, in Chinatown with actually a Korean engineer named Kelly Kwan, and it had Hanging on the Telephone, and one of my songs called When You Find Out, and two other songs, and we packaged it ourselves, and we ordered it, and it, we got it in, uh, you know, a truck pulled up, you know, like a month or two later with like, you know, 3,000 singles and loaded them into our basement. And then like we had no idea how to get rid of them, you know. And so I took a <laughs> box of them down to like this place, Aquarius Records. This is before punk, before anything. And we took it in there and the guy's like, okay, yeah. we'll put. So he, there was like 50 records on the counter and like you'd go back like every week like to see if they'd s and count them and it would always still be 50, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and finally, like one week, it's like forty nine. Like somebody bought one, you know, and uh, and then they go, no, it's like down here. It slipped down here behind the thing. You know, it was like it was that kind of thing. You know, and but we did um, send it out to a lot of people, and um, one of the people that we we booked we booked our own tour, and so the Nerves were like the first independent band to go on a national tour in the United States without a record company. We were like the first. There was nobody else doing this, and we played. L.A., San Francisco, Denver for the Wax Tracks guy for, who ended up being a wet. We had a great time in Denver. We Jello Biafra came to the gig. It was a $5 gig, all the beer you could drink upstairs from the Wax Tracks record store. And then we drove to Chicago where they didn't have a band. Every town had like one band. We went to Rockford and uh, um, hooked up with the Ramones, and we started a tour um, touring with the Ramones, and that was because we had booked all of our own shows, and Danny Fields was interested in booking the Ramones in some new places that they hadn't been. And they hadn't been to Texas, but we had a connection with Texas for Randy's Rodeo. And so we booked the Nerves, the same place where the Sex Pistols went back later in uh, 
where Sid got beat up, um, we booked the Ramones and the Nerves into Randy's Rodeo in San Antonio like months before they went there and had the first punk rock show in San Antonio and played like the Army Base in Waco, like Colleen, Texas. And we played, you know, Wisconsin with them and, you know, in Illinois and um, did different things like that. So we were on the road with them for a while and that's how we got to know them. Like, it was like, for me, I was very in love with the Ramones like when they came out. Um, we were rehearsing the night that we first heard them and we were rehearsing. I was playing bass. We were a trio. We played fast and loud, like dun 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 dun. You know, like we're rehearsing. Like we rehearsed all the time. And then we knew that the Ramones were playing at the Savoy Tivoli, and we didn't go because it would break our discipline to rehearse. Because that's how that's how we were. Like we used to have like sixteen-hour rehearsals. Like you know, like where you like dun 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 dun. Because we were trying to learn how to play. You know, I was coming from the street background, and like you know, I had we had to get our time. You know, we had to get it together. So. We call the Savoy Tivoli, and we know the, the door, guy at the door, and he holds up the phone for us. I'll hold up the phone, we hear the remotes. One, two, three, four. No, 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 no. Like, oh, my God, they're playing eighth notes like we are. But, like, you know, they sounded really tight. You know? And, uh, like, they were like the Beatles to us or, like, the, you know, the Stone. I mean, they were, like, such a huge thing for us. So when we first started playing with them, it was very exciting. The guys I got along best with were uh, um, Dee Dee and me. He kind of hit it off both being the bass players. And then um, Tommy was just a super nice guy. You know, I ran into Tommy, um, I don't know, a few years ago, before he passed away, and I ran into him in, at um, the Folk Alliance. And I walked into a bedroom there at the Folk Alliance, and Tommy's sitting there, and he goes, you used to be the bass player in The Nerves, which uh, people might not understand how weird that is, because, like, I have a beard now. You know, I weigh, like, a lot more, you know, I look completely different than I did. But somehow he nailed me, you know, and he goes, you were in The Nerves. And then we started, to, we ended up hanging out and became friends again and like uh, stayed up all night in a restaurant talking a couple times and really had a fun time, you know. And um, Dee Dee, I, I hung out with on the road a bit. We would sit up and talk. And I remember one night down, like down in Texas and he's like, yeah, I, I named the band and uh, I wrote, you know, this song and that song. I wrote all the songs and, you know, he's telling me all this stuff. I'm like, is this for real, man? Like this guy's like, is he jive or like, but it turns out he was all telling the truth, you know, about everything. But I really got along best with him, and I think, you know, he, he said he liked my song. He liked that when you find out it was his favorite Nerves song, you know, and all that stuff. So it was cool, man. It, it was a really a lot of fun. The shows would have, like, between 100 and 150 people at them. Venues that could have held probably 300, you know, clubs, rock clubs. He, uh, I mean, they, I remember one night this girl fell in love with Joey. Johnny, you know, he would yell at everybody, yell at Dee Dee, you know, he yelled at me one time. Like, everybody, he kind of yelled, but I liked him, you know. Uh, they were never cool, you know. But And Arturo was really cool, their road manager. And then uh, this girl fell in love with Joey, you know, and she starts following the tour, and, like, she felt sorry for him because his knees were out of his pants. And so she went to the store and, like, bought him some, like, nice jeans. And then she brought him to the show in Rockford, and uh, he sat right in front of her and, and, like, ripped the knees out of it. And, like, she had, like, a... Like, <laughs> Like a breakdown, you know. It was very early. Like, this is, like, before punk rock was publicized. And we were all expecting Rocket to Russia to be a hit record. I mean, I thought that was Rockaway Beach. It was going to be a hit. I, I couldn't believe when that didn't wasn't a hit. Like, I couldn't believe when we weren't a hit. But I could believe that, you know, being from Buffalo, I can believe that we're not having a hit, you know. You know, the land of no illusions. But, but when the Ramones didn't have a hit on that, it was pretty shocking, you know. Did they have much push behind them at the time that you guys, could you see any kind of, uh, when they showed up in town, were they written about? or? It's funny that you say push because Kevin has a story about 
Kevin was just playing me this record today. It was just a smoke and driving and crying record, you know? And like he knew Johnny, him and Johnny used to trade baseball cards. And he was just telling me about this today. And so, and like, so Johnny, like, so he, he, this is when Kevin was like 18 or 19. So he knew Johnny for a long time and they traded baseball cards. Johnny's super into it. Then, then later on, like, like he goes, Johnny, like Kevin, the driving and crying, like it's a real slamming rock and roll record. You know, it sounds a lot like Ramones, actually a really good record. And uh, Johnny says, they run, into, run, they run into each other and Johnny's like, hey, that's a really good record. What happened with that? And Kevin goes, oh, it was pretty disappointing. He goes, oh, what, no push? You know, <laughs> which is funny if you're a musician because it's just like, it's just so called, you know, it's just like, what, no push? You know, yeah, what, no push, yeah, no push. And the Ramones didn't really uh, get the push, you know. They weren't, there wasn't a lot though. There was no, uh, you didn't see promo guys on the road. I never did. It's exciting for us, you know, like in a big way, you know. And then we went around and toured the whole states, and there was like only, like every town would have like one band, except for like New York had like, you know, I mean, San Francisco only had like Crime and the Nuns, and like there's just a couple of bands, and that was by, there's only two bands in 76 in San Francisco, it was like, or two or three, not including the Tubes, you know, which was a major label band, but it was like the Nerves and Crime, you know, that's all who played local shows, you know, and then... All of a sudden, like in 77, it started to happen a little bit more, but not much. It's like we went to Cleveland and like we played the Nerves and Perubu, and then the next night it was Nerves and Devo. And like the Dead Boys came to the show. So that's a number of bands, you know, but that's two different cities too. And then Akron included. And then we went to New York and then New York had like the New York Rocker and all that, you know, you know they'd had everybody over there. But Boston had a few bands, but like other cities like didn't have many bands at all. Like, well, I mean, there's probably more bands than like any apartment building in Nashville than there were in the whole nation at that time. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, you know that, you know. Because it would, you know, it was difficult to be an original band at that time. Like there was no, um, there was no, for some reason, like I don't understand why there was no desire by anybody to actually have any, in the business to have any new bands. Like, like they would have been happier if there weren't any new bands. And I don't understand that. Like they were selling, uh, you know, they wanted to sell the rock that was happening, you know. And like everybody, like the record business kind of frowned on like the New York Dolls and stuff like that in a way, really. They weren't really hungry for the new teenage rock and roll. How did you meet Rodney Bingenheimer? The nerves had just got to town. And somehow I knew who Rodney was and we're driving down the street one day, Sunset Boulevard, I found out later that Rodney would always eat at the Denny's, but I didn't know that at the time. He would eat every day at lunch at the Denny's on Sunset Boulevard. But I'm not sure it's still there. It's kind of near where Guitar Center is now. So we're driving down, and we just got to town. We had this, like, old station wagon. We're going down the street, you know, and I've got, like, a bunch of singles. We'd just been over it. Uh, we'd, I, I was having, we drove to um, the L.A. Times where I went up to, like, the eighth floor and hand and, like, a, you know, Robert Hilburn, my name's Peter Case. I'm from The Nerves. This is our record. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Like, I'm, like we're getting introducing ourselves all around town. So we drive down Sunset Boulevard, and, like, there's, like, a big, tall, lanky guy with a little short guy, both, like, wearing, like, beetle boots. We're like, I got stop the car. That's Roddy and Kim Fowley. Roddy Binger. I've seen pictures of And the car pulls over, and I come jumping out of the car, and I go, hi, we're The Nerves. We just got here from San Francisco. This is our single hanging on the telephone. We're putting on the first punk rock show in LA, will you guys be the MCs? And like they're like lost for words, and then they go, "Yes, we will." <laughs> and and they did. Kim, they came down. We rented a room at um, 
Sunset and Gower. It's a place called Gower Studios. And put on a show there, and Kim came down and uh, emceed it. But we met Rodney then, too. And then Rodney played the Nerves, and he was the first person to play the Plimsolls, too. Mayor of the Sunset Strips, my all-time favorite oh, music intense. documentary. I don't know if that was really... He just comes across as somebody that's just really easy to love. Yeah, he is. He was very lovable. You know, he was... That movie made me sad, but because he... It hits you hard in the second half. Yeah, the second act of that, all that stuff. But he was uh, a good guy. And, like, I remember one the weirdest funny. One time we were, like, uh, I was out, like, it was during the Plimsolls period. I'm out on, the, on Halloween night, for some reason, running around on Sunset Boulevard. And this, like, uh, little skeleton comes over to me. Hi. Hey, Peter. I go, like, who's that? And, like, he, like, puts up the skeleton mask. And it's Rodney. What's he? There's a big party right over there, you know. <laughs> you know, it was really a trip, you know. He played. And, and then I ran into him uh, a couple years ago. We, he was sitting. He had a fight with Kim after that movie, and so like him and him, Kim were always best friends. And then they had a fight after that movie, and so so I go to Cantor's in the middle, and I take my my wife Denise. Um, uh, we I want she's from San Francisco, so I, we, I was like gonna you know we're gonna go to Cantor's. We went to see Donovan play or something. Now we're at Cantor's. We're out on a ten night in the town, you know. And I go, oh my God, it's Rodney over there. So we went over and introduced her to Rodney. And we're talking to Rodney, and then over in the other room, Kim comes in and he sits on the exact opposite end of the room. It's like got to be kidding me. These guys are like best friends. You know? But Kim had his own movie, and that started to make Rodney mad. I don't know. Kim wanted his own movie. So Teresa Caricas actually made it, if you know Teresa here in town. She's a great person. But um, Did they ever make up before? You know, I don't know. Before Kim died, I don't know. Kim was an interesting person. I met Prine at the... Uh, I'm not sure what year it was. I think it might have been the 89 Winnipeg Folk Festival. And we were working with this guy. I just went up there with my, I had a band with me with Bannister and this guy Duke McVinney. And it was with Fast Freddy, who's been my road manager for years at that time. And we were all up in Winnipeg and we were working with, we met this guy named Jim Rooney. And uh, we met, we just met, you know, Jim knew some friends of mine out in LA, like Bob Newerth. I think I knew, might have known Jim before that because Maybe I met him from out in L.A. and like we hung out and played music or something. We either did before or after. I think before, actually. I met him through Bob Newerth. And Jim Rooney was the guy that started like the Newport Folk Festival. You know? And he was a, he wrote a, written a really great book I'd read about um, called Boss Man about Muddy Waters and Bill Monroe. You ever see that book? Yeah. Great book. And I had that like in 78 or 9, and so I was really into it. But then like, we're up there. And we start, Rooney goes, will you guys back me up? Yeah, sure, you know. So we back Rooney up, playing a bunch of gigs, and that's how we met Prine. And then um, I started playing, uh, I would come to through town and play the Bluebird, and one night Prine just came to the Bluebird and, you know, got a drink and sat right there in the middle of the audience and watched the show, which kind of, you know, makes you nervous because, you know, he's a songwriting master, you know. But we became friends, hit it off. I love John Brown. He's like one of the most real, nicest people you mean, you know, as you know, man, like uh, there's a lot of maniacs in the music business and there's a few really cool people and he's one of the cool people, man. It's like, so usually like people that are really big stars or masters and all that stuff, it's very, very difficult. But he's just a really sweet person, man. Yeah, special person. So that was great. And then we wrote some songs together with, you know, 
What was that like the first time you wrote a song with John Prine? What are you going to do when you write a song with John Prine? Why well, do you just sit there and like John Ryan Prine writes a great, <laughs> great song, man? You know, it's not, you know, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, I mean, it's like falling off a log, really. I mean, it's, I mean, if you think about it, it would be weird. But like, he just like, he goes, uh, we're talking, we were talking, I'm like playing guitars. And he goes, I don't know how we got on some crazy conversation. And then he goes, let's, like, let's write a song about group of Amer- like a group how would he say let's write a song like sink the bismarck about some imaginary heroes <laughs> so he did it's called wonderful 99 the wonderful 99 you know when i was a kid i had a, a stick fighting team called the wonderful three it was me and these two other guys it was like a we used to fight guys with sticks you know it's a buffalo you know that's like you know common kind of thing over there. <laughs> very primitive you know so we were the wonderful three and so like the wonderful 99 was like a somehow we got like 99 99 brave heroes and 95 you know unmade beds or something i can't remember the whole rap now but it was a lot of fun it was so much fun writing with them you know and then and then we wrote another song uh, space monkey he ended up recording that and so it was always a lot of fun and to see him and tour with him and play with him and everything's really great you know <laughs> I'll say this for the people who are visiting in Nashville that are listening to this. If you look at the Station Inn calendar, about twice a year, you'll see Jim Rooney's All-Stars book to play there. You should go. You because should. Because John Prine shows up and does about 12 or 15 songs uh, with Rooney and his friend Sean Camp and yeah. some other folks. And the Rooney part is pretty great also. Rooney is so funny. He's like the funniest guy in the world. Like. It's the whole attitude. It's like he's just one of the greats, man. Rooney, he's a really funny guy, really nice guy too. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in. I'd like to thank Peter for meeting up with me at that hotel room late at night in Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Peter at petercase.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You could buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.